Well, hey, Connection, today we're closing out our series as we've been studying through Galatians in your Bible. So if you want to grab your Bible and get it open there now, if you haven't already, this series we've called it uh, How to Ruin Your Faith in Six Easy Steps. And we really don't want you to do that, of course. What we're really looking at is advice from here about how to strengthen and nurture and grow your faith. So we're on week six. This is the final one. If you've missed any of the other messages or if you're new here, certainly encourage you to go back and on our website, you can catch all the other messages and get up to speed. And uh, today, as we go into chapter six, it may seem like, well, isn't this the end credits of the book? of the study, but it's really not. There's some really practical teaching here. So we're going to go through and read some verses, and then we'll go back and study. So starting in chapter 6, verse 1, you can follow along. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. Man, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Now, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Now, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Now, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from their sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone especially to those who are of the family of faith. Man, this is so practical, and we're going to break it down. There are four good encouragements here from Paul that we can find for our lives. And the first one, if you're uh, jotting some notes down or if you're just thinking about this back in verse 1, I think what Paul's telling us here is to be there for our fellow believers, to be there for each other. The way he said it was, uh, you know, if another believer is overcome by sin, and he did say if, but he could have also said when, because... That's just the reality of our lives. We are broken people and we do sin. And he says, when someone does sin and you know about it, the helpful thing to do, the the humble thing to do is to help get them back on the right path. Now, if you're reading out of a different version, I was reading out of the New Living Translation, your Bible might have said, restore them gently, which is probably a little bit closer to what the original would have said. That word restore that Paul used is also the word you would use for Someone has a broken bone, and it's what the doctor would do to set it or to restore that bone, to take something that's broken and bring it back to health. It's the picture of what we want to do when somebody is sinning. Just think about this. When someone sins, they're hurting. They're hurting themselves. They're hurting maybe other people, but they're hurting, and they don't need your judgment. They need your help. Two years ago, Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor was in Nashville for a conference, a little bit distracted. She was walking from her hotel to where the conference was to take place. About halfway there that morning, she realized, I'm lost. I don't know where I'm going. So she had just crossed the street, turned around to go back to her hotel, grab a taxi. She really didn't pay attention to what she was doing, stepped into the road right in front of a bus. She doesn't remember what happened next. Uh, eyewitnesses told police that when the bus slammed into her, she was thrown through the air about 20 feet. It's a good thing she doesn't remember all of that at all. Uh, She does remember coming to, 
She said all that she remembers about that was there was a crowd of people around her. There were two nurses calling for the Good Samaritans who were offering to help, telling them what to do. There was a man holding her hand. She said, I just remember immense pain, and I was screaming, and there was blood. She said the man was so sweet, so gentle. He held her hand. He said, stay with us, Karen. Stay awake, Karen. Held her hand all the way till she was getting into the ambulance. And as she was going in, all she could manage to say to him was, God bless you. And she meant it. Karen is a, a Christian, and she was reflecting on this experience and the pain of that and the recovery, and she wrote an article about some lessons she took away from it. One of the things she said was, sinning is like getting hit by a bus, something she'd know. She says, sin is like that. It's, there's one small lapse that can cause such great damage. She said, the split second in which I did not see that bus resulted in the breaking of my body and the torment of physical and emotional pain damage that took months to heal. Likewise, even small decisions can result in a multiplicity of brokenness that, like the fractures in my body, must be tended to with great care if there's going to be healing. I really think that's what Paul maybe had in mind, something similar to this, when he said in verse 2, we should share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. When, uh, when he said the law of Christ, I think he's making a contrast. We've seen in the book of Galatians that there were some Jewish leaders who were trying to teach these Christians that they had to, yes, accept the grace of Jesus, the good news gospel, but that God also expected everybody to keep the Jewish regulations and the Jewish laws. And Paul is saying, no, the gospel is free. So when he says the law of Christ, what's Paul talking about? Well, so the night before Jesus died, with his closest followers, Jesus said to them, a new command I give you. Uh, you may know what that command was. If you do, you can say it with me. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. And this is what Paul is saying. When you help someone who's been caught in sin, hurt by sin, hit by the bus of sin, you are obeying the law of Christ. You are showing them love. It's a care and a compassion, not based on what they've done or what they deserve, but because I want to help you. I'll even sacrifice of myself to do what's in your best interest. You know, sadly, human nature being what it is, and maybe you've even seen this in yourself or you've been on the, the losing end of this, what do we do sometimes? I just for me, I know that it's sometimes easy to skip the law of Christ and go straight to the law of judging people. Like, you shouldn't step in front of buses, Karen. You know, there's something about us that just likes to elevate ourselves over the other people and make ourselves feel better by just uh, looking down on what they've done. And Paul knows how we are sometimes, so I think that's why he said here in verse 3, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Warren Wiersbe is an old pastor. He said it this way, a legalist, and it's a person who doesn't care about the law of Christ, a legalist isn't interested in bearing burdens, but rather adds to the burdens of others. You know, a legalist is always harder on other people than he is on himself. Legalists enjoy it when other people fall, and they will even give that wide publicity because then they can boast about their own goodness, and that's not at all what Jesus would have us do. A sinner in our church family, the body of Christ, is like a broken bone. And when a bone's broken, we all need to help. When one member suffers, we all suffer. We want to do things to bring healing and promote wellness and bring somebody back to repentance and back into the family. I mean, just you think about this, and you've experienced this. If you've ever had to confront somebody, it takes a great deal of courage to talk to somebody and to say, hey, I see this thing in, in your life that's hurting you. You know that if you've done it. It's uncomfortable. Sometimes you feel unqualified to do it, but this is so important. 
but it does have to be done with great care. Like Jesus, in some of his teaching, compared confronting somebody else to eye surgery. I don't know about you, how willing would you be to work on somebody's eye? Unless you're an ophthalmologist, I wouldn't recommend it, and I don't want you touching my eye if you're not. And so over in um, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this, you don't judge other people, and you won't be judged. For you will be treated the same way you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And Jesus goes on to say, why would you worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? I mean, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Come on, you hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see well enough to see to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And I want you to make sure you get this. Jesus didn't say never, ever confront anybody. We often hear these verses, maybe even take these verses as, oh, just don't judge. It's not really what he's saying. Just when you go talk to someone, make sure you've done the hard work of dealing with your own stuff first. The fact that you know somebody else has a problem in their life is probably a pretty good tip off that you've got something in your own life that needs to be dealt with first. So we don't want to ignore what we're doing wrong so we can judge our own sins and other people. But there is a time when, because we love them and care about them, we prayerfully go and we say, hey, I'm here to help, but this is not good and this needs to change. So often we get it wrong when we do judge. I'm thinking about something Pastor Chuck Swindoll told. Of, he had been preaching at a conference all week. And on the first night, there was a guy who was sitting next to his wife who fell asleep almost immediately. And through the whole week, he did the same thing. And Chuck said, you know, basically the story he started telling himself through this whole conference was, this guy just doesn't want to be here. His wife drug him here. He's just not a spiritual person. And I feel sorry for his wife. Well, the last night of the conference, this woman made an appointment to talk to Chuck. And she said, I appreciate you taking some time to talk to me. I need you to know that... Um, my husband is just so thrilled to be here. He's in the last stages of cancer, and his pain medication makes him so sleepy, but you have been his favorite pastor and teacher his whole life, and his one last wish that he could, was that he could see you teach and preach live. How tall do you think Chuck felt as he heard these words, this situation that he thought was one thing was something else entirely. He said, I stood there as deeply rebuked as I have ever been. Many times when we judge, we don't have the whole story and we get it wrong and we fill in the gaps with all the wrong things. It's such a dangerous and unhelpful thing for us to judge each other. It's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to be there for each other because we're all sinners and we all need grace. We need God's grace and we need each other's grace. Are you with me on this? You know, let's help each other out of sin. Let's help each other get closer to God through the, the leading of our Holy Spirit. Like, I'm not perfect. And, and so I stand here and, and speak with you. I know that I'm a sinner too. And so I'm not above anybody. We're just here to help each other. And, and maybe I haven't done some of the things you've done. And you could say that, well, well, maybe I haven't, but I could have. And, you know, so we're just gonna be here for each other. Now, Paul is all about balancing tensions. And that's, kind of what you find in verse four and verse five. He first of all says, let's be here for each other. But then in, he says, be careful to pay attention to your own work for then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't have to compare yourself to each other for we're each responsible for our own conduct. Now, again, in the version you're reading, your Bible might say each one will bear his own load. I know this sounds contradictory. You're saying, well, in verse 1 and 2 and 3, Paul's talking about we have to bear one another's burdens, but now he's saying we all bear our own load. Which one is it? This is where I say Paul likes to balance things out. This is not an either-or. This is a tension to manage. 
Uh, it seems like a contradiction, but I think what he's saying here and the, the wording that he uses bears this out. In the first couple of verses, he's talking about those burdens or, that are just so large, those things that happen in your life, whether it's sin or something that happens to you, they're so big that you just can't handle it on your own, and you need to stick your hand in the air and say, I need help. Uh, and then in verse 4 and 5, it's a different word for burden. It's almost like a backpack. You raise your hand and you ask for help when you've got a piano-sized problem in your life. This is a team lift. This is a backpack-sized burden, and it's my responsibility to carry this myself. So I guess the way I would say this is uh, be responsible for your own stuff. I think that's what Paul's saying. I have, uh, I've done a lot of backpacking in my lifetime. I really enjoy it. One of the things I have come to learn is my trip is much more enjoyable when I don't carry too much weight. When I do the hard work at home of deciding what I should bring and what I shouldn't. So just many times I get back from a trip and I'll pull things out of my backpack that I never even used and I think, why did I carry this weight all up the, down those mountains? I would have had such a better time if I had a lighter backpack. Backpacker Magazine asked some people, hey, what have you seen people carrying on the trail or what have you carried that you wish you hadn't? So it kind of fell into three categories. Some of the stuff that people carry is just silly. One woman admitted that she carried a porcelain tea set and every evening had had tea on the trail. And after that trip, she got home and said, I will never do that again. People have been spotted carrying piñatas and big musical instruments and uh, just all kinds of crazy things like that. And you just look at them and you go, why in the world did you think you needed to bring a hairdryer that plugs in? Where are you gonna use that? So, some things trickle over from the, the side of just being silly to just being incredibly heavy. One person admitted to carrying, no joke, a metal briefcase full of poker chips. Never played poker the whole trip. They carried that for nothing. Somebody else admitted to carrying uh, just, oh, I know, it, it was actually a, somebody, I was on this trip, the kid just complained the entire trip about how heavy his backpack was. We got to the camp spot for the night, opens his pack, pulls out an enormous cast iron skillet and two huge frozen steaks. Now, the meal was incredible and much, much kudos to the kid who carried that thing because the meal was great, but, you know, don't, don't carry it and then complain about it. You know, it's, some things that people carry on these trails just, they go beyond all of this into beyond silly and heavy into just like dangerous. I, one guy carried a 50-pound broadsword. What are you going to encounter on the trail that you need that for? I, I don't understand. I think the prize, though, goes to a, a group of people who were spotted on a, a steep, strenuous trail in Arizona, and uh, they were carrying two Yeti Tundra 350 coolers, those are the enormous ones that go in the back of a truck, and a couch. I guess if you're willing to carry it, then, uh, you know, go ahead. I don't know why you need that, but do it. There's an expression on the trail, it's just hike your own hike. And it all, it's all about just, you do what you need to do out there, and we're not going to judge each other, but it is up to you to carry your own stuff. Uh, if you want to carry a tuba while wearing a tutu, you rock it, but... Uh, I think what Paul's saying here in life is, if life hands you a piano, you ask for help. There's a whole lot of things in life that you should just do for yourself. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, if uh, sometimes if it's even your own fault, if it's bigger than you can handle, you call to your church. But you don't expect your church or your family or your friends to do things for you that you can do for yourself. 
I, I like what Andy Stanley, he's a pastor down in Georgia, he points out that God gave humanity a massive sense of responsibility. We're actually happiest when we are responsible for things and we're using that responsibility well. On the other side of that, we don't really enjoy life when the things that we're in charge of aren't going well and we're not really using our responsibility well. So we just look at this and we go, I kind of feel bad for my life, but are you handling the things that, that you're in charge of well? Bottom line is, there are some things that God just says, this is yours, and I want you to deal with this. And there's a friend of mine who's a counselor, and I love how he says this, I will never work harder for you than you're willing to work for yourself. There are some burdens that you need help, but there are some times when you just have to say, this is mine to carry. And go on to what Paul was teaching here in verse 6. He said, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. So in the church, there are some people that God has explicitly gifted and challenged to say, you are a leader uh, you are responsible for other people's lives and their spiritual well-being. And so what Paul would say, here's the encouragement, please be a blessing to those who lead you. You know, if I read between the lines here and, and just in context of the whole book of Galatians, I think what had happened here is there were some good godly leaders who were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ faithfully. And then there were these other religious leaders who came into the churches and started contradicting the message that these teachers were presenting. And there was division in the church. There were people who were taking sides. There were people who were picking at each other. There were people who were maybe not uh, being the best version of themselves. And so Paul is having to say things like this, like let's get along with each other. Let's make sure that we respect the leaders uh, because it's, it's not to your best interest to make their lives harder. Uh, and we have been blessed here at Connection with so many good, gifted leaders. We have good elders, and we have good staff, and we have small group leaders and, and small group hosts and children's teachers and sponsors. Let me just read you some scriptures that kind of speak to what we should be as a blessing to our leaders. Uh, Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that's come from their lives and follow their example of faith. Just If you like the life that they have, live the way they live. I like what Paul said to the Thessalonian church, 1 Thessalonians 5, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you, and they, and, and they give you spiritual guidance. So show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. And live peacefully with each other. This is so important. You getting along with one another really does make a difference to those who have been given responsibility by the Lord. I like what Paul told Timothy. Elders who do their work well should be respected and even paid well, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Again, let me reiterate, we have great leaders at Connection Christian Church. Good elders, good teachers, good pastors, good sponsors, good, just, I'm holding them up and and God would say, look to them, imitate what's good in their life, make their ministry a joy, not a burden by imitating their example and following their lead and trusting them as they take care of us. And I want to say to you, Connection, uh, you're so good at this, at holding the leaders up and, and being blessings to us and generous. And this is just a little window into me and my personality. I have a hard time accepting compliments and accepting blessings from people. It's just kind of how I'm wired. I'm not saying it's a good thing. It's just a thing. But what I've come to accept and learn is that not only is it important for me to accept blessings and accept compliments and appreciation, it's important for you to do it too. There's both sides of that. And I am very thankful 
that I've been able to serve with Connection so long. So I was just reflecting on this. Next month in April, it'll be 20 years I've been here with you all, and I can't believe that. But then I look in the mirror and I see all the gray, and I go, yeah, maybe it is possible that we've been here this long. In fact, uh, one of my daughters was really little, and one of my daughters was born in this church. And I'm so appreciative of all of you who've been extended family to my family, and for so many years been such a blessing. You've been generous, and you've offered so many things to us. Uh, I just love you all. Know that. And it takes me to the next verses that Paul talks about here, and this is where we're going to wrap up. Because you can see, if you've been anywhere for a long time, you can see the results of the actions you take. And that's what Paul's talking about in verse 7 when he says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Uh, You harvest what you planted. Maybe you've heard this a little bit older. You reap what you sow. What Paul is just talking about here is an overarching principle that applies to so many areas of life. Oftentimes, we think of this in terms of gardening or farming, uh, but it can be applied in any area. And the first principle of this is that you reap what you sow or you get what you planted. You wouldn't be surprised to put tomato seeds in the ground at the end of the summer when you get tomatoes. You reap what you sow. There's another aspect of this, and that is that you reap more than you sow. You put one kernel of corn in the ground at the end of the summer, hopefully you have a stalk that has many ears of corn with maybe hundreds if not thousands of kernels. You get more than you started with. And also we know this too, you get it later than you sow. You reap later than you sow. You start at spring or summer, but you have to wait a few months for the harvest, but you eventually will harvest. And we think of this again in terms of farming, but you can apply this to your finances. Little choices now financially over time should result in a big harvest. It's always later. We have to be patient. Uh, You think about this in terms of fitness, um, exercising and running and lifting and doing other things in the moment may be hard, but over time you see a, a result of health. Now this can obviously go to the negative also. Negative choices now may not seem like much, but over time we can see what it does to your body and to your health, to your soul, to, to repeatedly do the wrong thing. You're planting one thing, you get more of it later. And so what Paul is saying to us is in the Christian life, you certainly want to pay attention to this. He says you want to sow or you want to plant in the Holy Spirit. You want to invest in good things in your life because you know eventually later you're going to get a whole lot more back than what you started with. And if you, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, if you end up listening to your sinful nature, listen to your heart, instead of listening to the Holy Spirit, there's going to be a payoff there that you're not going to like later in your life. I have... um, I've had a lot of laps around the sun, and I've just seen this play out over and over. So I see the wisdom, and this is the final encouragement that Paul has for us. It's just really be future-minded. Just really think about what you're doing now and where this is going to take you. And now today is a great day to start thinking about just sowing into the Holy Spirit. And by that, I'm saying to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You're already making such a wise choice by being in this message today. Continue to do that. 
you know, a while back, a friend of mine from a different town, a different ministry reached out to me and he said, hey, I saw a mutual friend. I, th my friend who was reaching out to me said I had a repairman come over to the house and he was just a middle-aged guy, owned his own business. And he said, hey, I know you from church. Way back when I was a teenager, I used to go to your church. So this is my friend who's telling me this now. I said, yeah. And he said, hey, do you know that guy named Brian? Yeah, yeah, I, I just remember when I went to your church, Brian and then he named another person who went to our church, it just really made a difference in my life. I am the person I am now because of their influence. And so Ken, my friend who was telling me about this, said and told me the name of the kid, he's actually a middle-aged man now, um, I had to think about who he was. And the reason I did, it, finally I remembered who he was, but he'd only come to our church a few times. And I think, what a privilege it is. And I, once I remembered, I remembered he was a good kid, so I probably told him that. I don't remember anything that I taught him. But kudos to him, because early in his life, even with those few interactions, and I probably think it was the other sponsor more than me anyway, but he took those few things that were planted in his life, and he took them seriously. And now he's somewhere in the world in his 30s or 40s with his own business, and he's a Christian man, and he's honoring God with his life. And because those little things early in his life took root, and over time, he's reaped a harvest of blessing. And I think the same thing for you. 2020 could be the day where you, and the year where you start some things, little things in this moment that really accelerate into something great in your future. I mean, God does amazing things when we'll just yield our life to him. Yeah, I'm so proud of you, Connection, too, because the things that Paul's talking about here, there's so many areas where we can just do good in the world and just watch what comes of it. The coronavirus crisis that we're in right now and experiencing, I've just seen you step forward and say, how can I help? Where can I be a blessing? And Connection, I don't know what God's going to do with all of this, but I believe that our community is watching, and I believe that the little things that you do and I do together are gonna make an eternal difference. So thank you for all that you're doing and continue to, to lean into God. And my final encouragement to you as we wrap this up, verse 10, as Paul said, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those who are the members of the family of faith. Connection, let's, uh, let's go do good. Let's go be good. Let's be there for one another. God bless you all. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for the good that you brought into our lives. Wouldn't be here without you. I can't imagine what my life would be without you, and maybe we all can say the same thing. Would you simply lead us into the next right thing that we can do? Will you multiply those small steps that we take? Will you help us to say no to sin and yes to righteousness? I pray for you to protect our church family, help us to be a light to our community and our world, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.